Let us go to Paul's epistle to the Romans, the 8th chapter, and take up verses 24 and 25. Romans chapter 8, 24 and 25. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Amen and amen. Amen. The lesson is simple. The lesson is important. It begins with a coordinating conjunction for tying us into the verses that have gone before us. And I want to read those verses to you to remind you of what hope is under consideration in this 24th verse. I'm going to start at verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Amen. Romans eight seventeen through 23 tells us that we're waiting for something, and that is for our bodies to be redeemed from their corruptible state, their sinful state, into a glorious spiritual state fit for heaven forever. These bodies can't go into heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But our bodies will be changed so that we can inherit heaven, body, soul, and spirit. And so the waiting there in verse 23 is going to be mentioned again in verse 25 as what we're waiting for. But what glorious things. If children of God, then we're heirs. If heirs, then we're heirs of God. If we're heirs of God, then we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Right. If we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, then there is, we're going to be glorified together with Him. If we're glorified together with Him, then it's going to be glory that far surpasses any suffering in this life. And so much so is this great event of us being revealed to the universe as His children that it's going to affect the whole creation. Inanimate matter. Stuff. Dirt. Trees. Stars. Sun. Moon. Will be affected by the great day when you're announced to the universe as a child of the living God. The irrational creatures of the animal world will be delivered from the bondage that they presently are in 
at the time that we are revealed to the universe as God's sons and daughters. What a tremendous event coming in the future. The world is utterly, totally, without a single scrap of a hint, ignorant of these glorious things that are revealed to us in writing by the finger of God through His Apostle. And so we come to the 24th verse, and it says, We are saved by hope. The Christian religion is a religion of great hope. And these words are true. That hope will save you to a godly life if you'll lay hold of it. That hope will save you from being discouraged under suffering or difficulties or afflictions in life if you will lay hold of it. We are saved by hope. We are saved in a practical sense by hope. You know, I wish the Arminians would take this text up and use it like they use their other sound bites because they want to tell us that there's only one thing you've got to do, sinner, in order to be saved, and that's to believe. But Romans 8.24 tells us that we're saved by hope. If they were just to work it a little bit, they might figure out that there's at least two phases of salvation. The Lord's shown us five, and we're thankful for every one of them. And in that scheme of looking at the Bible, we are able to understand a verse like this very simply. There is a practical salvation in laying hold of the hope that is set before us of eternal glory. It will change your life. It will save you from being deluded by the things of this world because their soap bubbles cannot compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It will save us from the prosperity of the wicked because we'll realize their end is an eternity in hell and ours is one in heaven. For we are saved by hope. The Christian religion is a great religion of hope. Brethren, if you believed that what is conveyed to us in verses 17 through 23 was half true. And if you could get your heart and mind halfway around it, it would change your life. You would never be discouraged. You would never be depressed. You would never be disappointed. You would never be frustrated. Because even though it's got half by half, which is one quarter of the truth of the situation you would know that what is laid out for you just a few years away is far greater than anything here, good or bad. For we are saved by hope. Now the lesson is simple. The lesson is, you hope for things you can't see. And if you can see something, it's not part of your hope. That's the lesson. Pretty simple. Why would the Holy Spirit send two verses... 24 and 25 to tell us that if you're hoping for something, that means you can't see it because you don't have it yet. And if you can see it, that means you have it so it can't be called hope. And if you're hoping for something, then you're patiently waiting for it. Well, let's just remind ourselves of that fact. The hope that we have is described in verses 17 through 23. I mention it now for the third time. It is being a son of God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ, being glorified together with Him with surpassing glory, and having the whole creation affected by that stupendous event that is coming in the future when God owns us as His own and gives us the right to heaven and a seat beside the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our hope. But we are saved by hope. If our religion... If gathering together today and listening to me and going out from this place 
and living a life of self-denial for Jesus Christ was all that we had, the apostle tells us very plainly that such a religious proposition would be utterly miserable. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 so that we can see the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans, explaining himself a little bit further in his epistle to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We have the worst religion on earth. Now, he's exaggerating the case to make a point, like so many things are exaggerated in Scripture. Because the Word of God still tells us the best way to live life that there is. But if we, you take away that hope, it leaves Christianity a rather hopeless religion. Because while we're here, we have to deny ourselves, and we get persecuted by everyone else when we're living a godly life in Christ Jesus. So if we're denying ourselves, and if we're being persecuted, and that's all we get for our religion, we are of all men most miserable in Paul's description. What's the context of 1 Corinthians 15, 19? What is his subject of this whole chapter of 58 verses? Is it the resurrection of dead bodies? Is it the resurrection of your body? What was the subject and context of Romans 8, 23? That we are waiting for the redemption to wit, or we're waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Exactly the same context. We will get freed from these bodies and spend eternity in heaven in a new, spiritual, glorified body. That's what Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians 15. That's what he has in mind in Romans 8.24. And he says here, if in this life only, if we forget heaven like Asaph did in Psalm 73, verses 1 through 16. If we forget heaven and just look at circumstances on this plane, we are of all men most miserable. Therefore, it behooves us as brothers when we come into this place and when we meet each other during the week, we must exhort and we must remind each other that there is something way beyond this life. And it is our future life in heaven. It is the gravest error. And it happens so often to be pulled down into this morass of confusion and disappointment, vanity and vexation of spirit. And the way we are cured is to come into the sanctuary and be reminded from God's Word and then to encourage each other during the week that we're going to heaven and it doesn't matter what's happening down here. We must constantly be about that work. Or we're going to end up like Asaph. There'll be a few of us like Asaph, there'll be most of us like Asaph, or we'll all be like Asaph, wrapped up in the things of this life and forgetting what's coming. We won't be living the holy lives we should. We'll be discouraged and envious at the wicked. We'll fall into their lifestyle, forgetting that they're all going to hell under the ferocious judgment of God, and that we will be eternally consoled with His affection and glory and pleasures forevermore. In heaven. If in this life only, you foolish Corinthians, for listening to your foolish teachers, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Joel Osteen and the other mega church pastors do not preach 
about heaven. They preach about you not being miserable here. Because God wants to give you a harvest if you'll sow a seed in their KFC basket when it passes you. If you'll sow a seed in their ministry, then you'll reap a harvest. They're constantly wanting to tell you about heaven on earth. But the Bible wants to tell us about heaven in heaven. And the Bible tells us if heaven on earth is all we've got, whatever that is for a Christian, we are of all men most miserable. There is something coming that's called an eternal weight of glory. It's very heavy with glorious goodness, and it lasts forever because it's called eternal. It's far different than our light affliction, which lasts for only a moment. Now, brethren, when it says, for we are saved by hope, what does it mean? It means what 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 tell us. Look at those two verses that start out this, this, this declaration by Paul about the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, after 14 chapters, I have a little bit more to say to you, Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. If you forget the gospel, if you forget the gospel this afternoon and get caught up in the things of this life, you will not be saved by the hope of the gospel. Because anything that you engage in this afternoon is delusionary. Your whole life is delusionary apart from heaven. It is vanity. And now that's a man with a successful life which you don't have. Solomon had a life. And he had a wife or two. And he said it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Now if the preacher said that, we should believe that. Well, if you engage in the things of your belly or the things of this world, they're going to be frustrating this afternoon because nothing ever works out the way it should. Budgets are always overrun. Lawnmowers never last as long as they should. Your car starts to fall apart. There's problems in the house. There's problems with your health. The kids don't behave the way they should. And on and on it goes. It's delusionary. That is not our life. Our life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It's out there and it's up there and we see it by faith. And it's the hope we have of a completely separate, different life than the one now. If you forget, you won't be saved by the hope of the gospel. There were false teachers taking the Corinthians away from remembering it. What takes you away from remembering it? Is it getting too involved in your career? Too involved in your family? Too involved in our nation's politics? Too involved in bodily exercise? Oh, what a frustrating endeavor. 
Just let time pass. And all that exercise is going to totally go to waste. And you can't stop it. We're going to have to shove a hose up your, well, we're going to have to shove hoses in lots of places to keep you going for just a few more minutes until you won't even have the strength to draw your next breath. How's that for vanity? But do you know what? In that moment, if our hearts have been and if our hearts are in the right place, as what I'm trying to teach you right now in just a few minutes, we're saved. We can be lying there with our bodies corrupting and in our minds what's ever left of them. We can be saying, as soon as I am free from this body, as soon as I can't draw my next breath, my spirit will be with the Lord, and I shall be forever with the Lord. And it is going to be glory that has never been described by my pastor to me. It's going to be glory that the Apostle Paul was told he shouldn't try to describe. It's going to be glory that Revelation is short on. Because I'm going to be with the Lord forever. Brethren, that's being saved by hope. In death. When things get frustrating at work, when things get frustrating with your family, remember that you're part of another family where there's nothing frustrating in heaven. And forever, you will be rejoicing with that family under a father who is the living God. And an older brother who is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And every spirit there will be made perfect. Hebrews 12, 22. That is our hope. And we're saved by hope. And how are we saved by hope? By staying hopeful in that thing. When we let it, when we let it be stolen away from us, or we get our eyes on the things in this world, it's frustrating. You never catch as many fish as you want to catch. You never get as much done in a day as you want to get done. You generally can't set the PR in an athletic endeavor that you would like to set. Your income doesn't leave enough left over at the end of the month that you thought you would like to have left over. Vacations go faster than you would hope they would. On and on it goes. Life is frustrating, but there's a heaven that never ends, and there's a glory that is infinite in measurement. And that is where we're going. And it is so profound that the apostle would say, when I do a financial analysis, that's what reckoning means, when I do an accounting comparison, I find that the glory that's going to be revealed in us far exceeds any suffering in this life. That's what he told us in 8 and 18 of Romans. The Christian religion is one of great hope. And these verses here tell us about it as Paul explained it to the Corinthians. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The lesson is simple. The lesson is going to be short. We are to live by hope. Therefore, we need to help ourselves and help each other keep our eyes and our minds on the things of heaven. What happened to Asaph? I was envious when I saw. So we want to guard the things we look at. And the things we look at, we want to make sure the things we think about are right. And the things that we talk about are the best. And the things that we pursue are not the things we can see, but the things we can't see, because that's our hope, and that's how we're saved. You will get messed up and discouraged to the degree that your sight settles from heaven to earth. Every degree or minute of angle 
that you allow your sights to fall toward earth, you will become disappointed, discouraged, and frustrated if you're a child of God. Now, if you're not a child of God, you've never had your sights elevated because the only thing you know is your belly. You have your portion in this life. Enjoy it. Live your life to its fullest today because you're going to hell tomorrow. And you're going to be there for forever. So make sure you get enough pleasure out of today that you might have a little squeaky memory of it for eternity in hell. That's Psalm 17 and verse 12. They have their portion in this life. But brethren, we have to help each other. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant. Who was ignorant in Psalm 73? Asaph. But I would not have you to be ignorant. Like Asaph. Brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's not dozing in church. That's being in the church cemetery. Their bodies sleeping in the grave. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. They have no hope for the dead. Listen. They come up with reincarnation and they invent that. And like I wrote you yesterday, reincarnation, what a hopeful religion. I get to come back next as a grasshopper and get eaten by a snake. What a wonderful religion. What intelligence comes out of that nation of India. Put all their minds together and they think that a grasshopper is grandpa. There's no hope. All they do is get to die over and over and over and over. We have a hope and the Bible tells us about it. And it tells us right here that when someone dies among us, we should not be ignorant so that we end up being hopeless like others so that we sorrow too much or we sorrow in a way that isn't justified in the Bible. Because we should understand that they are in heaven in their spirits And Jesus is going to bring those spirits with them when He comes back. And He's going to raise their dead bodies before He gets you. Because their dead bodies are more important than you to Him. Just to make a point here. Now the difference in time is not something you can measure. But the difference in time, the Apostle points out for you to understand that you don't need to be sorrowful like others which have no hope about someone in the grave. I love the Lord. I love the way He wrote His Bible. It's like we're going to have to stand around wondering if it's going to happen for us. It's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. But they're going first. He hasn't forgotten them. He's coming for them first. And because of that, we're not ignorant. We're not ignorant of the future. We're not ignorant of the realities of life. We know these things so that we don't have to sorrow like others who are ignorant of them. And so it tells us in the 18th verse, and I skip what's in between, you know it well, the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, and He's going to get us and take us home to be with Him forever. Verse 18 tells us, wherefore, comfort one another. That's what the hope of the gospel is for. It comforts our hearts. As I read to you from 2 Thessalonians 2.16, He's given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, but we're to share that with others. Make sure in your conversations... That we, that we try to lift each other up out of the frustration, the vanity, and the vexation of this life right. toward our eternal life in heaven. That is how we're saved. Saved from delusion. Saved from frustration. Saved from confusion. Saved from disappointment, as Asaph was in Psalm 73. Now, Asaph was going to go to heaven and be with the Lord if he would have died in verse 1, 5, 10, or 15. But, 
What did he say about his thought processes as he got to verse 16? Did he say they were sweet to meditate upon? He said they were painful. It pained me to have sorted my thoughts the way I did in those first 16 verses. So he goes into the sanctuary. He hears a sermon on Romans 8, 24 through 25. You say it wasn't written yet. Aha. They used Job 19 that Lord's Day. You say it wasn't the Lord's Day. Okay. They used Job 19 in the Sabbath day. Where Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Now is that some pretty great hope? I don't care looking at you three guys that are telling me I'm the wickedest man you've ever met and that I'm hiding secret sins and that's why all these things have happened to me. I don't want to look in a mirror and see what a mess I've become. I only want to see one thing and I see it clearly. In my flesh, with my eyes and not another's, I will see God. So Asaph went in the sanctuary, heard a sermon on the Sabbath day from Job 19, 25 through 27, and he came out of there and he said, now I'm ready to write songs again. Ever been like that? That's why we're here, brethren. I can't lift you except to give you the Word of God. If you've prepared, prayed, and participating, right now you should lift yourself. Didn't Paul say in 2 Thessalonians 2, 17, comfort yourselves? So comfort yourselves, brethren. Encourage yourselves. We have great hope. Our religion is full of hope. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. We're strangers and pilgrims here because we're pressing on to glory. Where is your trust today? Do you have full hope in the resurrection of the dead and spending eternity in heaven? Right. Your business becomes less important. So does your wife. So does your physical attributes. So does your makeup. So does your house. So do the dandelions in your yard. Everything takes on a different hue and takes a different priority if heaven is first. That's where we're going. We're the sons of God. Who cares if we're good citizens from the praise of earthly men? The only reason we want to be a good citizen is for the praise of God. The only reason we want to be a good employee is for the praise of God. It's for conscience toward God that we do things because He's our Father. We're going to spend eternity with Him. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17. Let me share a, a couple of verses to you that the Lord led me to about hope and trust in the Lord. Oh, the world says hope springs eternal. <laughs> hope, what, how much, you know, that, that, that little phrase needs some words supplied. Hope springs eternal. In the lake of fire for the world. Hope springs eternal till I get my next divorce. Hope springs eternal until I get drunk again. Hope springs eternal as soon as I can get high again. They have no concept of hope. Their hope, the Bible tells us, perishes at the moment they die. Every expectation and desire and plan they've ever had is totally annihilated with death. And it's frustrating between now and then. Hope springs eternal. We're the only ones that have hope, and we have everlasting hope, everlasting consolation in heaven forever, secured by the authority and the power and the zeal of the Lord of hosts and the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. What a guarantee. Do you know what kind of a guarantee it is? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 
14 through 20 tell me that because God couldn't swear by any other, He swore by Himself to give consolation to you who have run to Jesus Christ for a refuge. So He swore with an oath by Himself. Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. So by two immutable things, God that cannot lie made a promise, and God that cannot lie that made the promise also added an oath to it so that you would have a strong anchor for your soul. That's what Hebrews 6, the last half of the chapter, is all about. How's that for comfort? You say, it would have been good enough if God just wrote me the Bible and told me about it. Well, he wanted it better than that. He swore with an oath. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Thus saith the Lord. I'm going to draw two groups of men here and put a chasm between them. And you ask yourself this morning before the Lord who knows your heart better than you, which side are you on? Jeremiah 17:5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. There's one group. Here's another. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Brethren, which group are you in? Is your trust in the Lord and is God your hope? If it is, even in this life, we can bear fruit in every season and there's no carefulness even in drought so that martyrs can stand with the fire burning the skin off their legs. And bless the Most High God with excitement and joy and peace because they're going to be in the presence of the Lord. That's hope. That's wonderful hope. When the largest denomination on earth is burning you at the stake and you are part of a little small minority cult, they call you. But your trust is in the Word of God and you put your trust in Him. Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Back to Romans chapter 8. The lesson is simple. It's important. How are you living? Are you living with eternity in your sights? The Bible says set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's what got Asaph in trouble. What are you looking at? Do you think you're going to be happy with a spouse? Are you going to be happy with a promotion? Are you going to be happy with a better job? Are you going to be happy with a degree? Are you going to be happy with a better grade? Are you going to be happy with bigger biceps and a smaller waist? Are those things going to make you happy? They're all going away. They're all vanity. They take a whole lot of effort and they're going to disappear in this life and they will certainly not be true in the next life. Set your affection up there. That's all guaranteed. Nothing you've got down here is guaranteed. Nothing. Everything up there is guaranteed. I like guarantees. But it has to be a guarantee from an entity 
that can perform the promise. And there's only one of those in the universe. The God of heaven. He has promised and He will perform because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Asaph looked at the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And he said, look at them. They're so happy and fat, their eyes are bulging out with the luxurious meals they eat five times a day. They go to the best restaurants. They drive the, they drive the finest automobiles. They live in Thornblade. They have a six-car garage, four fireplaces, 8,000 square feet maid service, and a cook. That's why their eyes stand out with fatness. But they're wicked. They hate God. They're sodomites. They watch any television they want. They vote Democrat. They do this. They do that. They're wicked. Because he saw. We come into the sanctuary to look into the pages of Scripture and see what God's laid out before them that put their trust in Him. We'll never be ashamed. We'll never be confounded. World without end. Because we will inherit the earth, as Psalm 37 taught us last Lord's Day, three times. And we will satisfy ourselves with the abundance of peace forever. But we have got to daily force ourselves to comfort ourselves and to lay hold of that hope by faith. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. We hope for heaven and we lay hold of it by faith, believing God's promises, trusting God to keep his word, trusting God's power to perform his word is the substance of heaven. It's as good as having it for our minds and our hearts because God said it and we believe it. The evidence of things not seen. We haven't seen heaven, but we've got the evidence for it because God said it exists and God said we're going there. That's the evidence. We've never seen creation, but we have the evidence for it. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That is the evidence for it. That is far more evidence than three dope-smoking professors who sit around in a closed room breathing their own exhaust and coming up with a theory of evolution. That's their religion to get rid of God. All we need is that first verse of the Bible or the third verse of Hebrews 11. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God created everything out of nothing by Himself. We believe it because the Bible says it. That is our evidence for things we can't see. That is the substance of the things we hope for. Whether it's creation, the flood, or heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 24, For we are saved by hope. I hope you understand that clause. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? The point there being, the things that we are talking about that are in verse 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23, have not and cannot be seen yet. But we believe them, and we hope for them, and that hope is not a doubtful wondering if they'll come to pass, as the 25th verse is going to tell us, it is a waiting for a certain thing to come to pass. We can't see it right now. So here is our religion. Hmm. We've got to make a bet. We're going to make a bet on faith. Either we are going to believe that the Bible's a lie and that those dope-smoking professors 
that come up with evolution are telling the truth. And if there is no heaven or hell, but it's as much heaven as I can cram into this life, you can choose to believe that. But you are making a bet against the Creator God of heaven that is visible every day and every night, that wrote this book that has all the answers to man's dilemmas, and that should be speaking in your heart, but if you're not a child of God, you don't have that voice. We have that testimony internally as well. And so we choose to understand this life is delusionary. It will distract us and delude us and divert us from the real life. The real life is in heaven. We're on probation down here for a little while. We're strangers and pilgrims down here for a little while. We're traveling around for a little while. Until we're going to be called out of this place, God can burn it up, remake it, and give it to us to inherit forever. That is the future of Christians who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and lay hold of Him and live lives of faith. The just shall live by faith in this world, and they'll live in the next world. Except faith won't be necessary then either, because they're going to see, and they won't be hoping any longer. It'll all be right there before their eyes. And if you can see it, hope is not necessary. Romans 8.24, for we are saved by hope. Is that hope important to you? Is it controlling you? To the degree you let it slip, you become unsaved in this practical way right. of a of living life to please God and without getting discouraged and frustrated like Asaph did. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? And so in Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul would tell us, if you can see it, it's temporal. The things you can't see are eternal. And then he would go on a few verses later to say, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We're going we're gonna to live our lives and we're going to walk through this world by faith. Faith in God that he's in charge of all political events. Faith in God that he can take care of my family. Faith in God that he's always fed the righteous and their seed has never been begging bread. Faith in God that even though I were to die as a martyr, my spirit would instantly be in the presence of the Lord. Faith in God that there is a heaven waiting for me and an eternal inheritance. And I will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Lord. That faith based on God's written promises to us gives us our hope. And by living with that hope as the motivating, driving, controlling, leading in our lives, we're saved by it. To the degree we lose it, we lose our practical salvation. We lose our joy. We lose our peace. We lose our rejoicing in the Lord. We're filled with pain and trouble like poor Asaph until he went into the house of the Lord. He called himself, I was so ignorant. I was so stupid to think those stupid thoughts. I was like a beast before you, Lord. Forgive me. You're continually with me. And you're going to receive me in the glory at the end of this life. Your right hand is holding me or I'd have probably disappeared in my folly. I've put my trust in you. Now let me get back to writing songs. I've said that a couple of times, but I want you to know that sometimes we go through the process of Psalm 73, and I hope that right now at the end of this sermon we're on the other end of Psalm 73. Verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not. If we have a Bible hope based on God's written word and his oath 
And his promises, he, he cannot lie, the Bible tells us, in that context. Then do we with patience wait for it. We're just going through life patiently waiting for something that's absolutely most certainly coming. And that patiently waiting for it means none of the delusions around us distract us. We don't care. They can have all the soap bubbles they want. They can build their houses even bigger than they do in Thornblade. It doesn't matter to us because our hope is in the Lord. And we're patiently waiting for something bigger than they can even imagine. Something bigger than their architects could ever draw. And that is heaven itself. And if you want to see its dimensions, try the 21st chapter of Revelation. And you can see a pretty big city coming down from God. That, that's your home. That's you and me, brethren. That's the bride of Christ. That's where we're going. And we need to make this as real as we possibly can to each other on a regular basis. The martyrs had it real in their hearts and their minds. So a little pain for a few minutes here didn't disturb them. They were going to be with the Lord forever. The Apostle Paul, he was able to spend his life running as fast as he could in as many directions as the Lord would leave him because he had a great hope that was set before him. I am persuaded that God is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. My soul will be in the presence of the Lord because he's able to keep it for me. Brethren, is your soul there? Or are you trapped down here like Asaph right now? We're in the house of the Lord. We're in the sanctuary. Repent of your ignorance. Repent of your foolishness. Repent of your beast-like thinking. An animal always has its eyes down eating the grass. Repent of that. And tell the Lord that you're thankful that he's always with you. He's held you by your, his right hand. And he's going to receive you into glory. And you don't have anyone or anything on earth or in heaven, that can compare to him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.